And we're here for Behind the DM Screen for September now? Yes. September 2012. Uh, Just so people know, Behind the DM Screen is a a monthly podcast where three DMs, that's me, Mike, Randall, get together and help each other with with each other's games and let you listen in. Yay. And that's our introduction. So, first on our list tonight is Mike, go. No, I'm I'm totally not ready. I told um, you ahead of time that you were first. <laughs> I know, I wasn't. I, I'm still, I, you know. I'm nothing without panicking. Uh, I am running a, a mini campaign using the D&D Next playtest. Uh, we're, we're going with all of the public playtests that, that have come out since the one right before Gen Con. And we do have uh, a warlock in our group. So we're using some of the newer... Um, the newer classes. I forget. Is the warlock the only? Oh no, the sorcerer. So we have a sorcerer and a warlock in our group. Okay. So the overpowered um, classes then. Oh. I, I guess actually, yeah. The warlock kind of pulled off a move that I wasn't real crazy about, um, but after some further investigation, it didn't look like it was too bad. Now, is it now, o- is it overpowered compared to everything else, or just overpowered compared to the wizard? I don't know. I don't have enough data to compare. Okay. Um, it, it you know to me it was overpowered as anything that like really makes an encounter far easier than it should be. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind like killing a bunch of stuff because boy, monsters die fast. Um, <laughs> but I do mind like if a guy walks into a room and hits everybody in the room with a charm person, and then we didn't realize that exactly what charm person does. So at the top of it, it looked like he had you know wrecked the entire room mm. when when in fact it wasn't that bad. So- charm just meant they wouldn't attack him; they could still attack everybody else. And if anybody hit them, then they would lose the charm. So. You know, that's not real bad. Right. Um, so the adventure is set in the Lazar Principalities, which is on the eastern islands of uh, Corvair, the, the central continent in uh, Eberron. Yes, yes. There are uh, – I'm, I'm focusing on three sea princes, uh, the three principalities. The, the, so each of these – you know, each of these large islands is a principality and each one kind of has a sea prince who rules over it. And the sea princes, um, the, 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 the principalities that I'm paying attention to are the sea dragons, the dire sharks, and the cloud reavers. Um, I kind of think of the sea dragons as your British Navy, you know, back in the, uh, you know, 1700s. Uh, I think of the dire sharks as more of a merchant group that also has a bit of a military, and there's certainly a rivalry between them and the and the sea dragons, but they're a little less militaristic and a little bit more um, capitalist. And then the cloud reavers, who are anarchist pirate types. Now, did you get these from? Yeah, these the these are in setting? the Eberron. Okay. Yeah, these are all in the Eberron book. But I, there's more than that in the Eberron book, and those are just the ones that I'm paying attention to. And I'm kind of you know adding my own little bits of flavor to them, of course. And and, and when you decided to run this in Eberron, did you just with the D and D next stuff? Did you just sort of say, well, it's going to be Eberron, but we're going to ignore the fact that we don't have stats for Warforged and Shifters? And yeah, and we just don't. We just don't. You know, those aren't playable class. Those aren't playable races. They're in the setting, but you're not playing them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. So there's no mechanics for them. I mean, then we'll just throw them in with. Flavor if we wanted right, to. I right. can reskin monsters if they face people like that. Sure. But also one of the things that I kind of did, and I don't know if this is really in, in the idea in Eberron, but I figured the further away from Sharn you are, the less super high-tech magic stuff there is. So that the makes boats, good sense. Yeah, yeah, so the boats are not all you know, elementally powered warship mm-hmm. flying things, and there's no you know lightning rail that takes you out there. Uh, it's sort of on the frontier, and a lot of that you know mm-hmm. magical technology has yet to make it out there. 
Um, even though some of our player characters have experienced that in their in their backgrounds. Sure. Uh, I used my, you know, the, the fiasco style relationships. So there's a lot of different relationships and those are starting to come into play. Uh, the only trick with those is there were so many relationships. And then when you mix it with backgrounds and specialties, you, you have a lot of flavor in your character, you know, at level one. So everybody's kind of got all this crazy background going on, but it's starting to normalize, you know, starting to get to the point where, you know, two of the characters are former sea dragons that are kind of hidden in dire shark territory. They're in the, they're in port, uh, port verge, which is a dire shark port. And so nobody knows that they're sea dragons. One of them is a spy and the other one's, you know, a, a, you know, ex sea dragon who's now wants to be a privateer. Mm -hmm. The campaign is set around four kind of main threads, you know, main kind of things that are going on. One of them is investigation of the Dakari ruins. There's, there's this old 10,000 year monstrous empire that used to rule over Corvair and they've left all kinds of ruins and, you know, artifacts. And uh, a couple of the members of the party are both Dakari, you know, it's called the Dakari empire and, and they're Dakari explorers. So they kind of have bits of knowledge about the Dakari empire and they're seeking old, you know, relics and stuff like that. And there's lots of opportunity to wake up ancient dangers and things like that. Um, one of the other threads is hunting down dragon shards, which is kind of like the main commerce of Eberron. It's a little bit of a gold rush sort of feel, which I love because I love the TV show Deadwood. So I'm always looking to put Deadwood into my game. Um, the third major thread is the, um, uh, the friction between the three principalities, you know, that you have this kind of big political, you know, almost, you know, not quite a full-fledged war, but certainly a lot of heat and a lot of friction between the dire sharks, the sea dragons, and the, and the cloud reavers. And the party can certainly get mixed up in that. And then the fourth is that uh, small towns and villages have been attacked by a monstrous, uh, by monstrous raiders who have enslaved them and had been selling them and, and passing them from one set of monsters to another. And they are led by a man who's wearing a faceless featureless black mask and dressed in black robes and or black cloak and 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 with red trim and a jeweled typical, scimitar and a whip t- typical stereotype evil guy T- yeah typical stereotype evil guy and yeah and masked so i don't even really know who he is cobra commander um and he's also one of the things is i've also done one of my little mini uh what are those called the uh, um my little bit of flash fiction mm-hmm. where they saw oh, right right you know, where they, where they saw this guy talking to somebody that they knew. So they know that the guy's kind of an evil dude. So there's all these threads going on. I'm letting the party, I'm letting the players decide which threads they want to investigate and how they want their characters to react. It's a little difficult because I have seven players that are all relatively regular, but not always all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out. And then I'm always doing the like, Oh, hey, you know, this guy disappears. And then he shows up three days later. Now, you know? so is, is it a, it's a seafaring campaign then a little bit, but they haven't quite gotten to a boat yet. Okay. So, so far they've been in a port town <laughs> and then they, from the port town. So the interesting bit was they, they, their first night was really kind of getting used to the characters and learning a little bit about port verge, which is the town. Okay. And, um, so here's the, the funny bit and I'm hoping Michelle's not listening and I hope she doesn't listen to the podcast. Um, I wanted a port town and I just did a search and I found Luskin from the Forgotten Realms and it's, I'm like, hey, I, I guess I'll use that. Oh, right you know? So the map is exactly that of Luskin. Oh, um, sweet. I, I wanted to use – I wanted a little bit of a Greyhawk feel. So I had that there's like an old well that's clearly a bit of Dakari ruins that the town is built around. And if they go into the well, it, there's a whole series of levels of 
an ancient Dakari dungeon right below the city. So if they wanted to do nothing but go down there, they could have five levels of adventures right down there. Mm-hmm. And that way it's a little bit like the, 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 the dungeons underneath Greyhawk. If you want more inspiration from Luskin, um, Salvatore mm-hmm. and, and uh, Eric Scott to be have both mm-hmm. done novels sort of discussing the the way a city functions when it's a city run by pirates and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've read the old Salvador stuff that was set in Luskin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, wasn't that where all the the, the thief, thief guilds were? Regis's thief guilds, wasn't that in Luskin? No, 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 that was, uh, Regis was from uh, Calimport. Calimport, that's right. Yeah, okay, which so is a long ways away from Luskin. Um, no, no, but in, their, in, in Salvador's recent books, um, mm-hmm. they've gone through a fairly significant paradigm shift and it dealt right. a lot with sort of the politics of how a pirate council functions and, right. and, that kind of stuff. Right. and it dealt with some of the ruins uh in the area as well that you might pull some inspiration from yeah that's a good idea so, I'll have to uh, read and, that. and and eris got to be uh his uh latest book uh shadowbane i think yeah. was the second book in that series uh, not series but second book with that character mm-hmm. um deals with you know what does luskin look like in the aftermath of all the stuff that salvatore did salvatore sort of broke the whole city Right, and then Eric Scott Debye is telling stories that are like, and now afterwards it's this sort of lawless chaos, and this is what it's like. Right, right, yeah. I mean, inspiration is actually one of the things I'm really looking for because I'm I'm going va- very lazy dungeon master with this. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm, my my stack of three by five cards is slowly growing. I think um, I think it was Pirate King is the name of, uh, Pirate, Pirate Kings or something like that is the name right. of the yeah. the book where Salvador breaks it. But, like, one of the tricks is, you know, if the group decides they really want to dig into the Takari ruins and get involved in all of these things, this monstrous empire, I don't have anything. Like, I got, you know, I got, I got, I got no, I, you know, I made up a demon prince on the spot and had to write it down real quick. Sure. You know, like, they found an idol to a demon prince. And then now I got to, like, suddenly make a history true. And that's hard to do. You know, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it until they start digging into it. But it's, it's a hard thing to improvise on the fly. Mm-hmm. Well, um, especially when you're working with a very thin rule set, too. Yeah, and how and how much do they know about this demon prince? Nothing. I mean, they just found that. So because they have studied Dakari ruins, they mm-hmm. they've seen this idol before and they've recognized it as the demon prince of pestilence. Okay, is is there is there any reason that that demon prince couldn't turn turn into, out to actually be a Rakshasa, which is sort of a, a big Eberron deal? You know, I don't know. And I, that's, that's a good thought. About Rakshasa being yeah. the Rakshasas and and the uh, the lords of was the lords of dust. Yeah, are, right. are sort of the Eberron equivalent to demons, only they yeah. are much more, more, more present in the world. Right. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to look at that. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of neat things going on. I made up some NPCs, and, and I've got some ideas of particularly, you know, what's interesting is the last two adventures, they haven't been in a city at all. They've been combing through kobold, kobold uh, caves, and they just finished that, and and stepped outside. Oh, so so one of the fun bits about having like an improvised game where we're just you know things are going on is the first night they were just figuring out their characters and and everybody was kind of like yeah we've had a lot of conversations and nothing's really happened and so they go into a bar and they're meeting in the bar and I'm just like why don't I just have like a surly you know jackass bar guy hit on you know my wife's character and because it's a lot less uncomfortable if I hit sure. on my wife in role play than in, you know somebody else so. You know, he comes up and he's like trying to grope her, and and she pulls out her sword and smashes like three of the teeth out of his skull with the hilt of her sword on the draw, and you know they beat the dog snot out of the other two dudes and kind of leave him and throw him outside, right? And it was this total improvised encounter. And then one of the the you know, the, the thief in the group is like, yeah, I pick his pockets on the way out, 
right? So they throw them out in his <laughs> pocket, and they found like two gold pieces and a map. And the map was to this kobold caves where the slavers, where they were, where they were holding prisoners. Mm. And so now there's this whole interesting thought about why did this guy have the map? And then I wrote this bit of flash fiction about how Bliff, the guy's name is Bliff, because it's a great, terrible name for a <laughs> bar jackass. And um, so, did, so did, he, did he look like Biff Tannen from? Yeah, uh, exactly. That's okay. kind of the model I had. Yeah. Everybody's like, is that Biff from? Nice. But it works, right? And the big McFly, yeah, McFly, big, big jerky pompous guy. So he, um, so now his teeth are all missing, and he lost the map to the slaver place. And he meets the the, the hooded, the hooded and masked guy who says, like, you have to go take care of this. Mm. So then the party goes, follows the map, goes to the kobolds, finds a bunch of slaves that were left in these slave pits with the kobolds. And the slaves tell him, yeah, you know, a bunch of other monsters and stuff grabbed us off of our fishing village and took us here and dropped us here. And then the group's like, okay, and they they, they rest and they, they go outside. And outside is Bliff all kind of decked out. Now he's not, you know, half drunk. And he's got like seven or eight of his guys and they're going to take care of the party. So now this, this random encounter that was in a bar has now become kind of this central thread you know, he's the first kind of major villain that they have to face. Sure. And uh, so it's a lot of fun watching the story evolve like that without, you know, without doing a lot of work up front. Well, if, and it seems like Next is ideal for that right now mm-hmm. because, like, finding monsters to use is really easy because the monster document's really small, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you don't have to comb through a thousand monsters of their appropriate level to figure out what to, yeah. what to throw at them. I never, I never had a problem with that anyway because I just never bothered looking through a thousand monsters. I know. Um, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> you can make life hard for yourself if you want. I know. Um, so the – yeah, but uh, one hard part of Next though is they carve through a lot of stuff. So, you know, I built a big dungeon and they got through it in two nights. Uh-huh. And now I got to come up with – you know, if they, if they actually go to that underground dungeon underneath Port, Port Verge, I'm going to be – you know, I'm going to have to whip out stuff because they're going to cut through a lot of rooms pretty quick. I think you should do an improvised dungeon. You, you can. I mean, they, I, uh, I believe the uh, Halls of Undermountain and the Dungeoneer Survival Guide both have random dungeon building stuff in them. So it can be done. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm quite comfortable enough to do that yet. I'll have to figure that out. But, uh, yeah, so it's so they, it's been good. They, the, you know, the group's been having a good time. We're figuring out next. I think I think it went a little overboard with the character in a relationship stuff, and that's making things a little challenging. But sure. You know, like one of the other guys who hasn't yet been in the game, he's already got a reason why he's going to have been chasing Bliff down, and so he's going to show up in the next battle from another angle. Oh, I hope Michelle didn't hear that because <laughs> um, it's kind of a surprise. So, uh, yeah, so it's been cool, and and I'm 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 looking forward to more D and D next stuff coming out. You know, it's, we're playing with a really thin rule set right now, and there's a lot of like, you know, how exactly does that work? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. I noticed, and I've noticed, um, like at Gen Con, I noticed a lot of the way that that the Watsi guys were running next yeah. is different than the rule set that we're given. Oh, really? Because you know? uh, one of the things that's been driving me crazy, and I, and maybe, and I haven't looked much at the the latest document because we haven't played next since since it came out. Um, but the previous incarnation, one of the things that drove me crazy was that allies provided cover. Oh yeah. So I mean, and you're going through a dungeon, so it's like, well, okay, so let's just assume that. You're always shooting through cover because <laughs> that's happening 95 percent of the time. It's just a, it's just a pain. Um, but I noticed I noticed that at Gen Con, whenever I saw uh, the Watsi guys running next, they always just sort of said, "Oh, well, your allies duck, no cover. Go ahead and shoot." You know? Oh, your allies provided cover from your shots. Too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, yeah, and it wouldn't throw it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of throw that sort of stuff out. Right. 
Um, we had one trick between the last play, the last public play test. I don't think it was a public play test, but it was the it was the play test that they did at uh, DDXP. And the public play test is they got rid of two of the things that were kind of big big changes in the game. And one of them was that you used your score, your attribute score, as kind of a default skill level. So that, like, if you had a 16 strength and anything that had a DC that was 16 or below, you just automatically did. Oh, okay. They got yeah, rid of that. that. Changed, yeah. Yeah. Although, although, yeah. although some of that concept ended up in the rogue. Well, yeah. Actually, we're not happy with the way the rogue is working right now because our rogue right now, if it's a trained skill, he has a 16 automatically. Mm-hmm. And that's just wait. I mean, that means that all the traps, he auto discovers them and he auto disarms them. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, he, he's not finding it fun. You know, he like he likes rolling. You just need to put in harder traps. Yeah, like every trap's got to be a seventeen. It <laughs> doesn't make sense for like these little level one kobolds to be setting up these incredibly devious traps. That you know, no, but every now and then, so that, you know, trap. he'll get he'll get so complacent. Yeah. That every now and then, you'll you know, I mean, somebody will yeah. set up a real trap, and suddenly he'll be screwed because he won't right. even be looking for it. Yeah, the funny thing, like I actually, I'm okay with like a thirteen base. You know, for trained and like whatever ten automatic. So you like you automatically pass easy ones, but. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I just, I don't want anything that takes away from rolling dice. You know, the whole point of rolling is it's fun. I don't mind him getting an advantage on them or anything else, but I don't like the auto, you know, you auto succeed on medium and almost hard. I think a 16 is a hard, right? Uh, yeah, it could be. Think. Yeah, I think, I think it's 10, 13, and 16 are easy, medium, and hard. And, and you know, he's automatically passing 16s. Mm-hmm. And that's just, yeah, so we don't like that. Um, I forget, there was something else that they changed that was a pretty, oh, the, the, the saving throws... The DCs for your attacks were rolled previously, and now they're a static DC. So, like, right. if you cast a Burning Hands, before you'd roll a 20 and add your modifier, and that was the DC that they had to save against. Mm-hmm. And I guess they didn't like it or it was too swingy or something, but it was, you know, now now there's a static DC instead. So right. it's like two, two of the things that kind of made Next different than any of the previous versions of D&D have now been reverted back well, to... And I, li- I like not... Ha- sorry. I, I like not having opposed rolls... Because that just slows things down and became a pain. I guess. Um, and I know, I know my party wizard hated it because he was missing with Magic Missile 90% of the time, <laughs> you know, because of bad rolls that night or whatever. Well, was Magic Missile – I don't think Magic Missile was set up that way, was it? Well, I, I was a – maybe that, that might have been back in the friends and family playtest days. Okay. Um, yeah, because it's auto-hit, I thought. Right, right, right. Uh, but in any case, the point was he was missing with with his spells constantly just because he was, wasn't rolling well that night or I was rolling on, you know, really well or whatever. Uh, but um, the thing I'm – the thing I'm sort of hesitant on with the whole saving throw thing is that a saving throw right now is identical to most of your skill checks and anything else, right? It's just roll a d20 yeah. and add and add the the ability the score yeah. you know stat modifier. I'm I'm good with that. <laughs> I like you know I don't need it to be a whole. I don't need like 13 scores that are all slightly different from one another. I'm pretty happy if like your attributes are your primary interface to the world. And everything is kind of based on them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I sort I, do, I still sort of feel like. Um, Saving throws and skills are different and should function slightly differently. Not much differently, but I want them to feel like they're different things. Yeah. I mean, what the interesting thing is I have very experienced people in my group right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of us have been playing. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody that's at that table has played like a good piece of epic tier fourth edition, which is, you know, I guess short of high level 3.5 play is about <laughs> as complicated a D&D game as you can have. Sure. And... None, nobody has really complained about their characters being too simple. Okay. You know, in, in, in all the games we've had, they're all, they're, they love the pace. 
they're 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 doing a lot of improvisation like you know i had like pretty simple sort of traps where like there was two ways to get through a, ca- a cavern and one was this one that was carved out and they're real you know they were kind of like well i don't know let's look at the card why was it carved and you know i'm gonna examine it oh look there's a trip line hmm well let me look at the mechanism for the trip line i have to like come up with a bunch of you know mechanics on the fly and when i say mechanics i don't mean like modifiers to a d20 i mean like how is the counterweight behind the wall working to keep these swinging things <laughs> moving right like i have to come up with physics and i've got a bunch of engineers at my table who are like that totally <laughs> yeah that's, that doesn't that, make any sense at all that's when you so, just put it behind the wall so they can't see how it works. I, I do just a lot say of it that. works that's, that's always one of my favorite tricks it's like every time you have big mechanical traps you just say you hear large counterweights right. shifting behind the wall Absolutely. And like, oh, i don't know what the hell's back there the let other them, one that I let them figure things. it out. Yeah, waterfalls and heat as ways to keep mechanics going. Yeah. So, like, if you have a dungeon that's two thousand years old, if it's sitting on top of a volcano, they can use the heat to constantly reset the trap. Sure. Or waterfalls that will, you know, where the water will hit it. You can get that out of Goonies. I think Goonies. Has, <laughs> yeah, that's where, right. You know, waterfalls are constantly like turning a wheel, and the wheel is what's resetting the traps. Uh-huh. So there's there's a little tip. Right um, on. Anyway, I think I've talked enough. My alarm that's, didn't go off. It's twenty one minutes for you. Well, oh, sorry. We, t- we had about a minute of introduction, so that's about 20 minutes. Oh, I got 44 seconds left, according to my clock. <laughs> um, but I don't know what else I'm saying. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun with this. My my little lazy DM experience or experiments and, seem to be working okay. And clearly not, you do, you didn't play next with your group with the uh, the old fighter. Because then, uh, then, then you'd, have, pe- then you'd have people complaining about being bored. Um, Michelle complained about being bored a little bit but then we had other players who i had a player who had been playing she she wasn't real experienced but she'd played D and for her being able to just swing a sword is all she wanted to do mm-hmm. she wanted to have you know enjoy the story interact with stuff figure out the puzzles and and play D and uh, she was happy with the swing now on the other hand you know oh see there we go um on the other hand, we have another player who kind of likes a more simple character, and he's enjoying the current fighter where he gets to use his stunt dice. I think the stunt dice is a fantastic. Oh, I, I, I is really that what like they it. call them? I forget what they call them. Something action like that, yeah. dice or something. Like I that. really like it. Yeah, so it's really good. All right, so before we go to Randall, I want to mention our sponsor for the episode Continue Magazine. It is a quarterly magazine about all sorts of gaming video games, RPGs, board games, miniature games. Go check them out at continuemag.com. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. Randall. Yes. You have not played since Gen Con, which was the last time we recorded. I have not. But but you've been doing some crazy stuff for your game. I have been doing some crazy stuff. Um, One of the things that uh, I have been working on, since we're sort of in the vein of talking about D&D Next, is... I do intentionally intend to run a D&D Next uh, playtest campaign, but um, so I'm converting the Village of Hamlet over to D&D Next. Ah, cool. Which is is a classic, classic. It is probably my favorite introductory module ever. I have it Um, right here. I'm holding it. I know it. It is a beautiful piece of work. Um, 
not so much in that it's necessarily super original or or totally bizarre or anything like that, but because it has everything you need to run a town. I mean, there are examples of farmers and ranchers and teamsters and traders and and uh, you know the local priesthood and a druid and uh, men at arms in a castle nearby. You know, it's like got everything, and it's like the perfect setting. You can drop it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I I would have been perfectly happy if they'd never done the rest of Temple of Elemental Evil because I don't I hate it I can't stand it <laughs> don't like the module I just I, it's tedious and boring as but, far as I'm but concerned. did you ever try out the Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil I uh, I didn't even I just like talked to the hand I just didn't I, I, yeah. I, I have no experience with the original but there I've done the Return to the Temple a couple times and it's been really good okay well you know I, I'll take your word for that I haven't really looked at that one real close mm-hmm. but um. What, what did you hate about it? It was just giant giant dungeons oh. full of run, redundant rooms? Yeah, exactly. It was just really, really tedious. Mm. And, um, and, the, and at the time that I was, you know, kind of getting into it and saying, oh, this has got a sequel? Cool. You know, because I waited for years. I mean, I played The Village of Hamlet, like, you know, four years after it came out. And this was still back in, like, 79, 80, somewhere, or 80, 81, somewhere in there. And, um, and so it says, you know, this is the... Uh, the beginning of a two-part – well, the actual Temple of Elemental Evil didn't come out until like, I don't know, the mid-80s, 85, something like that. that and oh, really? It was – there was like a huge gap of time between those two. Huh. Well, the – going back to Hamlet though, I, I love it. I think it's – you know, it's got a great little dungeon in it that's not overwhelming. Um, and uh, I, about 40 percent of the current monsters in the D&D Next playtest um, actually – carry over and i'm kind of using them pretty much straight up the the monsters as they are not as they're presented in the module but as they're presented in dnd next sure and i'm actually going to older rule sets um for dnd next to catch up some of the rest of them but um it uh so when you say updating it how are what exactly are you doing are you writing things out are you what are you what are you doing are you just looking through it and putting it in your head Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I'm, right now I'm, um, I've got a list. Whenever I start an adventure, particularly a dungeon, I write out a list of the encounters and the monsters in those encounters and what things I have for those as far as resources. Um, in this case, I write down, do I have miniatures for this? Um, what the treasure in that encounter is? So if I have to provide anything for that, I can do that. I think in this case, I'm going to try to run without a bunch of gimmicky stuff as far as handouts. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to – so I – I don't have that, but I do have the treasure written down so that I can easily access it later. Um, and so, just, just, just for fun, I was—I have Temple of Elemental Evil sitting here, and uh, it has 435 rooms. Yeah, it's nuts. And while Nolb is kind of interesting, it's a little monolithic as far as the evil is concerned. I mean, it's just all – everyone wants to piss on you and, and – excuse my language and, – um, <laughs> and throw stuff at you or try to stab you in the back, and that is not – exciting to me mm-hmm. that's uh, i don't get I, that's not entertaining for me as a dm to run that because everything is the same and uh, the players will either get frustrated and leave or they'll just decide to wipe out the entire town <laughs> and which is okay i guess but i just you know eh. but homlet isn't like that and everyone has a little bit of a different motivation some selfish some evil some um you know fairly good some hidden some good guys that you don't know are good guys and things like that Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's just a great module. So that it's, and it's been an introductory module for a lot of my campaigns. Um, I've used it at least twice that I can recall. 
before. So uh, in a, in addition to having played in it myself as a player. So that's cool. Uh, yeah, I it's one of my go tos. So um, so I'm doing that. Um, but also, if I don't know, Mike had a question earlier before the. The record button was hit. Mm-hmm. What was your question, Mike? I wanted to hear more about um, the components you were putting together using her start molds that you were tweeting about. Yeah, I was. Um, I finally decided to get some out. I was uh, needing to do some casting. I had like, I have like fifty pounds of Merlin's magic sitting here, and it was like, you know, I really need to start doing some casting. And large part, large part of it, because I was working on a um, a dice tumbler, which I'm still trying to engineer. I've got the internal parts, I think, figured out, but the I got to get the rest of it done. Um, it's uh, when you start working with her starts and things like dice tumblers, they become set pieces. They're, um, they're not exactly portable. So these are like a piece of art that you, that's functional that you set at the table and you don't move around a lot because it's, but when it's done, it's probably going to weigh, you know, five pounds, <laughs> mm. you know, it's just heavy because it's all stone, you know, mm. it's not plaster. It's heavier stone than that. So, um, so I'm working on that, but as I was going through this and, and doing my castings with stuff, um, I started looking at things. Mod, a lot of people do modular dungeons with her starts, and that's great. Um, and because you, you could almost duplicate exactly what uh, uh, Dwarven Forge does, you know, it, it's it's still a one inch scale, so it's compatible. And wall wall sizes are slightly different, but other than that, it's pretty close. And those are great, but they take a lot of time, and they don't always work for all settings. But what I've been wanting to focus on instead is what I call um, little uh, accent pieces, things that I can set up on a on like a one or a, I mean a one inch by one inch or a one inch by two inch um, tile that have like um, oh little uh, so what I want to use things like equipment or supplies on them like barrels or crates or um, maybe a pile of gemstones or, or you know, I mean a pile of coins or a pile of skulls or something like mm-hmm. that accessories. little acts yeah little accessories on the yeah, table right. that, that aren't these huge things but you know could work on a flat map as well just to accent something maybe yeah. a fireplace or a little rope bridge or something yeah. you know just yeah. these little things and so I've been kind of working on it and in fact I might even offer some of these for sale or whatever so I'm still mm-hmm. trying to come up with some designs I'll buy but, them yeah <laughs> cool there you go I mean those those accents are exactly I mean one of the, the one of the things I'm having a hard time with is using uh, you know setting up a big Dwarven Forge setup. I mean, I love Dwarven right. Forge. My group loves Dwarven Forge, and it's great for like what I did last time with two two big nights of adventure where they were combing through a bunch of caves. But it's a pain to set up, and it's a pain to tear down. But like a poster map with a couple of three D elements on top is great. So those yes. accessories are really really nice. Exactly right. And I've actually found um, one of my secrets that I don't think a lot of people are doing yet is that there are a lot of silicone ice cube trays. That are available out there, and and or candy trays that are used to mold those things. And I have found several cool um, trays that will work as dungeon elements. I found a bunch of tiki ones and um, like these uh, moai statues, you know, like on Easter Island, mm-hmm. which were which look amazing. <laughs> Um, my wife found one. I think I got it for Christmas last year, but it was a uh, it was a mold that has the ice cubes that are supposed to come out look like giant gemstones. Hmm. And I cast instead of using it for eyes, I cast um, Merlin's magic in it. And so these could all be used like altars or you know giant centerpieces for something. Or mm-hmm. I mean, when I say giant, I mean about an inch and a half. 
So, you know, and about as... I'm looking at your pictures of them right now. Oh, well, there you go. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I love this stuff. So I'm going to start, uh, focusing a little bit more, but the smaller elements I think are, are more use, uh, useful because they'll work, work both on the big 3d setups and they'll work on flat maps as well as like an accent point. Yeah. So. Here's what I'm gathering. Randall has not read Mike's book that hasn't come out yet. Nope. Uh, no. <laughs> Which makes sense right. because it hasn't come out, yet. <laughs> right. and he hasn't sent me a, a, a manuscript. So. But, it, but it's all about the things not to the things not to do that, that take a lot of time for your game, right? <sighs> yeah. But this isn't specific. But I, I have to you know add on to the fact that this isn't specifically for my game. This is might actually end up being a business venture of unlimited sort. Sure. So. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the the interesting thing, like that, right, okay. I don't want to get into the premise of the book, but the premise of the book is to spend time on things that are going to be useful to you, you know, sure. and really make your game fun. It's one thing if you're making like a nice fire pit that you're going to be able to use in many different adventures and you just have it handy. That actually can be spent very much in the right place. The hard right. part is when you set up a giant dungeon and then your group says, I don't want to go to a dungeon. And then you're like, you're going to a yeah, dungeon. Exactly. Because right. I made a dungeon and it took me seven hours to set up. And I felt, and I don't want to pigeonhole, and I know I have in the past. I know that some of my elaborate setups have done exactly that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I don't want to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I want to give my play, particularly with with the feel of, you know, I think how D and D next is going to go. I think that I want to give my players a uh, a much more open sandboxy feel to things, yep. and um, and go from there. So mm-hmm. I'm due to play on the 16th. Is when I'm supposed to play that, but that'll be my 4E campaign. So that'll be the uh, what are you in Riven now? And in Riven, so and trying some different things. Yeah, so you're gonna have to recover. <laughs> recover. Yeah, that's right. Well, t- yeah. So the the next session in uh, October will be all about uh, how that went. So yeah, sure. good, good. Yeah, and hopefully it will be good. But that's that's basically what is going on right now. Awesome. So yeah, I'm, are you are you gonna uh, post or write anything about your conversion of Village of Hamlet? I think that would be. I hear more about it. Don't know how much I can do because of the D, uh, not DNA, <laughs> NDA. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know exactly what I can say. I mean, I know I can talk about Village of Hamlet. I guess in, in general things, terms, but, you can talk about it, right? right. You can't. You yeah. can't say like here are the monsters, but right. You could say I use the skeleton. You know, I replace these guys with these guys. Yeah. Right. You just yeah, and you can talk about you know the setting and all that kind of stuff, you know, as much as you want. You just can't cite specific rules. Right. right. So well, I think although although Wizards published a, a video of of actual play, so yeah, right. Yeah, fair, fair bit. I suppose they're allowed to break their own rules, probably. Well, yeah. And I recorded it, and they said they put my microphone on their table, so <laughs> so, <laughs> so I released it too. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, the interesting thing that I found a lot with these old adventures, I ran, I ran, I think I talked about it before, where I ran uh, White Plume Mountain, and oh, yeah. you know they they don't they hardly need any work, mm-hmm. you know like I I was able to just take them and and run them, you mm-hmm. know I didn't any of the any of the prep work I did was prep work I would have done if I was running a first edition game, yeah right. So one of the big uh, campaign ideas that we've had. Since the the one to thirty was fin- is finished now, um, was possibly doing the return of Temple of Elemental Evil uh, as a D and D next campaign, mm-hmm. and, and I'm and I don't plan- anticipate any doing any work for it at all, other than just reading through the book again. Um, except that I have concerns that the monsters aren't there yet, 
and we don't have any information on how to how to make oh. monsters for next. You know, right. yeah. so. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can reskin everything that's there, but there's yeah, and I can always not... make, make stuff up on the fly as I go. You know, yeah, I there's suppose. not a lot there. Is it level one? Like, what's the? Uh... No, it's. Uh, I want to. Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna say six or seven, maybe. maybe uh, no, it's gotta be. It's it's low. No, it's it's four, low it's, teens. It's uh, four, four to fourteenth or four to fourteenth. Yeah, four it's the cover. Yeah, it's a wide range, but wow. Yeah, because you're supposed to spend like two or three levels just exploring the outside. Hmm. Nulb and like the and the outside wall and the well, exterior temple. Uh, at least stuff. at least when I when I played it, we spent probably a couple of levels just exploring Hamlet before we even went to the temple. Well, yeah, yeah that's levels one to three itself. In in the original or in Return? No, well, I don't know about Return. Right, sorry. Right, I'm yeah, talking I'm talking I'm about, about Return. The original. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know about Return. Then. Yeah, in yeah. Return, it's it's four to fourteen, um, and I and it and it starts at least again. I, I've never run it, I've, but I've played in it a few times so and it was from the same dm every time so it could just be that that's the way this dm ran it but um it was right. it, it, we we always started in hamlet hmm. and there's several things that you do in, in hamlet and then with the um uh the moat house mm-hmm. in, yeah. in hamlet and then that gives you sort of the the lead that you need to go to this other place and deal with the actual temple hmm. right and that was written by monty cook if that gives you an yeah. idea of the quality yeah. yeah. I, well, it may yeah, be I gotta, good. Let's see if I can buy it. Well, wait a few months and it'll probably be released. So. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've, still, I've still got my physical copy. Yeah. See, now I'll be going into, after I run uh, Village of Hamlet, I'll be taking them into um, Slave Pits. Slavers. Yeah, so that's that's actually I've I've got those here and they I'm kind of using them as, as um, models for uh, you know, if, if my group ends up going the slave route, you know, the slave, the slave lord route. Then I've got a one through a four, which I picked up at Gen Con. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll use stuff from there, but I'm, I'm, I'm not even considering whether or not that's where they're headed. Cause I want them to go wherever they want. I don't think it's a specific rule, but I, or I think it's something I could probably talk about, but one of the things I do like about the D and D next monsters in this most recent edition is all the ability scores. Everything has ability scores. And I like that. Oh yeah. Monsters and stuff. Yeah. And that's really cool. So that's been really helpful in um, re-engineering certain things and trying to get them to, to fit and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the challenges have been um, NPCs, mm-hmm. but um, uh, I think actually one of the monsters actually fit for Lareth exactly. Mm-hmm. I, don't um, I don't know if I could say which one, but I there was a specific monster that was... Um, had the right powers and everything. It was actually pretty close. And I, although I had to come up, I had to come up with, um, he actually is a little more powerful in the module because he has plate armor instead of the default leather that the other, that the original monster gave him. And he has like a staff of striking, which was a a magic item that I had to create. So, (laughs) and we don't know how, how to do that yet. So I kind of just based it off what I found in the first edition, uh, you know, dungeon master's guide. And it kind of, um, lowered it a little bit because it was pretty powerful. Hmm. Um, and, uh, to keep it in line more with the rest of his stuff, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's coming along. It, it's actually going to work out pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, that's all I had to talk about. I probably went over this one. Uh, no, my, by my account, you've still got a couple minutes if you want them, but I'd be happy to take your couple of minutes. <laughs> well, I guess it would be fair to say, you know, you didn't ask for it, but you know, uh, herstarts.com, herstarts.com, cause that's what I use a lot of stuff. Well, now I got to make show notes. 
Yep, now you can do show notes. <laughs> he sells silicone molds that you can mold your own dungeon components with for all kinds of projects. Not just dungeons, but other things too. So, Right on. Hey, Jeff, do you think uh, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil is worth 18 bucks? Uh, for, for a hard copy? The, the play experience that I've had is is would say that yes. Mm. Wow. Um, now, again, I don't know how much of that is the quality of the module or the quality of the DM that ran it. Yeah, Because right. um, my DM did a lot of really dynamic sort of things with it. You know, there's different factions in it, and he had the different factions playing off each other, and it was really dynamic and interesting, you know? Right. Um, so I don't know how much of that was as written and how much of that was his his messing with it. You know? Right, right. But I know you like to mess with things anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, every time I buy an adventure, I end up just using it as inspiration anyway. And from what I understand, that's the way most people use them. Hmm. Or many people, I, 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 I most. If I buy an adventure, I typically run it run it pretty close to as as, it, really? as written because yeah. if I'm running an adventure it's because I didn't want to prep anything yeah. <laughs> so I just yeah, I actually find, it, I find it harder with that, so. yeah I find it's harder for me to run it as is than it is to hmm. to just use it as inspiration and let things go that said I've made a few tweaks as I've been running um, Gar- yeah. Gardmore Abbey well, yeah. segueing into to discussion of my campaign let's hear hey, it hey there you yeah. go let's do it uh, so then the last campaign so the, our Two sessions ago, they flew through like a thousand quests in, in one session. Mm-hmm. Um, like they've completed two or three complete chains all in, all in one setting um, to the point that they were feeling like the quest felt really artificial. Like you know, clearly we just have a quest log and they felt like they were in an MMO or something. Um, this time around, they only got through one quest. Um, it, and it was the the tower, the the watchtower. Yeah, sure. That's, that's connected to the far realm, right? Yeah. And right. so they they approached the the tower, and I needed to introduce another character who had missed the first couple sessions. Mm-hmm. And that happened to be the spot where the the uh, the rival adventuring party was supposed to first be encountered. Um, was in the first room of of the tower. I didn't want to deal with them. In that way, like I didn't want them to be because the tower works in such a way that once you're in, you can't leave. Right. So if you introduce that whole event, that adventuring party in the first room, yeah, then how the hell? Right, you're going to be wiped they, out. Yeah. They, well, yeah. they're they're going to be with the party the entire way, <laughs> right? And All I didn't right. want to deal with the NPCs for for the entire. So they session. actually, well, so one of the random places you could place them is in the tower. In, in the first room of the tower. Oh, that's terrible. So yeah. the way I in, reinterpreted that was they were outside of the tower trying to find a way to get in. Yeah, and, which makes makes a lot more sense. Right, right, right. And so um, they they had their their newly hired wizard, which is the other the new character that was joining, uh, trying to experiment and figure out how to get it in. And when he touched the tower, the tentacles and things came out of the tower and grabbed him, and he was stuck. Mm. And then the PCs showed up, and the other adventuring party just just split. They just ran away and left the wizard attached to the tower. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they and that's how they that's how they met their new wizard. Hmm. Um, and that worked out fairly well. And then they, they – because they had a card, were able to, to get into the tower. Um, and then in the very first encounter in the tower, they went with the big chasm in the middle and the, and the, the black ooze. Um, in that encounter, I killed the party healer. Oh, no. So, and you can't leave the tower. So they had to go through the entire rest of the tower this is without the one with a healer. The, with the mimics? The mimic, the yes. mimic bridge? The mimic bridge. Although, yeah. they, they, although they figured out the mimics before they stepped on the bridge. Oh, our guys didn't. Um, but yeah, but but I killed the you know yeah I killed the healer in the in the first encounter, so they had to go the entire rest of the tower without a healer. Mm. Uh, so by the time they got to the end of the tower with the beholder, um, I almost had a complete TPK. I mean, it was a miracle they managed to pull it off, and I killed all but an outright killed 
all but two of the characters. Hmm. Um, and those two, and those two were pretty close to it. And one of them was killed by a disintegration ray. So I said there was no body to resurrect because you know that makes sense for resurrection, right? Oh. <laughs> um, so now I've got to figure out what am I going to do with all of these characters who died. <laughs> so how many people died? Uh, four or five. You have four or five dead PCs. Yes. And that's not a TPK. Who's who's left? No, I, I'm sorry. I had I had four dead PCs and two surviving PCs. Wow. Yeah. Uh, two of the the dead PCs have said uh, characters have just uh, players. I should. Two of the dead ca- players have said they're not going to bring their characters back. They're going to make new characters. Mm-hmm. The other two, um, I'm touring with some some ideas on how to bring them back. One of them was a, an Avenger dedicated to a god of chaos that's dead. And he's the one who got who he's he's the one who got the first card. You know how that you sort of seed the party with one card before the adventure starts, right? Well, he's the one that had it, but he, but nobody else knew he had it. Oh, wow. and, and he sort of sees it as a manifestation of his god of chaos. Hmm. Uh, and so when they bump into another card, it's like, oh, well, I'll hang on to this for the party. Well, now I've got two. Ha ha ha! You know. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's sort of his own secret collector, except the party uh, totally figured it out. The the party rogue what was trying to mess with him. You know, why is he so insistent on hanging on that card? I'll, well, while he's fighting with the others about it, I'll pick his pocket and take it. Hey, there's two cards here. <laughs> and then, uh-huh. and so then he went to go pull out the cards and they weren't there and he didn't know what was going on. And then, so he's like, oh, and then he kept fighting with him. And then a few minutes later, the, the rogues player passes me a note saying, okay, I put him back. And so he rolled his, his check again and he managed to put him, put the cards back in his pocket without being caught. So the next time he looked for the cards, oh, there they are. You know, so they just disappeared for a while, and now they're back. And he he still has no idea why. Mm. Um, but so he's but he's one of the characters who died. And so I sort of have it in my head that that I might do a, a thing where he comes back um, as sort of a manifestation of this of this chaos god, mm. and, and the chaos god is maybe trying to use the cards to to resurrect himself in the world. Mm. Um, so that's, that's, that's one resurrection plot that I'm thinking about. Um, the other one is my, my goody good character who plays the bard, who wants to be the inspiration behind all the heroes of the world. Um, he's one of the ones who died and I've, uh, I have, I have a quest that I never gave. The one, um, was the cleric in, or the priest in Fallcrest who gives the quest to find, uh, Vaden Cartwright. Right. I never used her. Um, I think it was her. In any case, I never used that, that character in that quest, so I was gonna, going to have that character under the um, the the guidance of her god bring him back. And I've worked this out with him ahead of time, so he knows what's going on, where basically he's going to be brought back specifically by the god. What uh, you know, My god decided to bring you back to do this one thing that you're doing, and after <laughs> you're done doing it, you know, I, I left it fairly vague, but the, the character's implica- understanding is once I'm done doing this quest, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm going back to the afterlife. Well, the 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 hard part with that is is at at this tier, would the gods even really be that involved? I mean, they're they're going to resurrect what a one level six guy to kill a level seven villain. Um, it's pretty but, low, but now, in, now, but but in, the- but in terms of dealing with the the decamini, uh, the yeah, the uh, yeah, the decamini, the decamini things. I mean, that's a big enough threat to the world, especially if this other yeah. character, if this other character is going to try to use it to bring back this god of chaos. Right. Then it right. becomes a, a deal that they might want to get involved in. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah, I, I like the idea that the the you know the the, the priest the priestess resurrects them, but mm-hmm. it's temporary. Mm-hmm. And maybe you know, but I, I think like it, it, you know, the god might be have one one thousandth of its attention on it, but it's enough that the priestess yeah, can do yeah, it. Yeah. That right. that kind of works, yeah, you yeah. know. And then the idea is like you know, it's almost like is that you know, is yeah. the bard even a even a human anymore, or is he just a construct? You know, is he a sure. Right? Is he a zombie? What is he exactly? He right. doesn't know. Right? And, and it's not. And it's not, and it's not like g- the god shows up in the world and, yeah, and right, right, you right. know and brings it back. It's just sort of he has a vision in his time in the afterlife of now you've got this quest to do because this right. god chose to bless you with with the return to life, temporarily. Right. Yeah, some some bless. Right. Now, although I do still have this issue of now I've got two characters or two players making brand new characters and I've got to figure out how to bring them in without making it too overly corny. Hmm. And I and I, at this point I'm not even sure what they're making. You could you could kind of wire it in, um, sort of like Game of Thrones. You know, like one of the fun things about Game of Thrones is like characters that you followed along and you thought they were going to be heroes and then they die, and then all of a sudden there's all these new heroes that have their own introductions that you know you never heard from before. But they could be they could be either like you know the second to the captain of the guard in in winterhaven or they could be you know maybe baron valfarin's one of baron valfarin if they if they play a fay then maybe it's one of baron valfarin's people yeah although um he's my secret collector oh well, that that would make it more interesting. Though, yeah, maybe. Wouldn't it? Like mm-hmm. they, he, he's the secret collector, but he doesn't tell whoever he sends out to go sure. and get more cards. And in fact, he's not only the secret collector; he's the one who hired the other adventuring party. Hmm. Which makes all kinds of interesting things happening. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, is he is he evil in your group, or is he kind of manipulative? Mm, he's a little manipulative. So, so maybe he hired the other adventuring group, but he still wants to send one of his agents out to go with this other one because now well, he heard that they kind of broke down. And maybe, yeah. I mean, at this point, he um, wants to, you know, he wants, he wants, you know, he's betting on both sides, right? Well, you're right. He's betting on both sides, and 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 honestly, um, the party isn't looking for cards actively at this point. Um, you know, so maybe this is they're running into them and they're taking them and they're using them, but only one of the characters is actively looking for the cards, right? Um, and so, you know. Barian's been using them to do these other things that he needs done, like find yeah. out what happened to my to my dad and, and go find my sister. Right. Um, and then he's using this other adventuring party specifically to go out and find cards. Uh. Um, now, when that comes to a head, that, that could lead to some interesting things. Because I don't think Barian will necessarily care about either one of them as long as he gets the cards. Right. Yeah, in fact, my secret collector was, um, what's his name? Uh, Sir Oakley. And Sir Oakley had like that whole other quest chain, and I just forgot it because eventually all he cared about was the cards. Well, and that and that that brings out another interesting thing that happened. Um, I tried to use the um, the idea that, that you brought up at uh, the Gen Con episode with with Oakley mm-hmm. that he was maybe getting just a little impatient with dealing with all this other stuff. Yeah, and he wanted to go off and do he, he wanted to go off and do his own thing. Um, they sort of interpreted that as, hey, we had this kindly, nice knight who was, you know, really awesome and working with us and, and we were trying to help him out and all this kind of stuff. And now he suddenly turned into a prick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's my way or the highway all of a sudden. Uh, right. but, but, I mean, they, one of their characters was also a, a paladin of Bahamut um, and made a, made a good speech and made a good diplomacy role and sort of convinced him, hey, look, we'll do this one more thing for us in the tower and then your thing is next, I promise. Yeah. Except now he's dead because <laughs> he died as well huh. in the near TPK in the tower. 
Hmm. Um, and I've, I've contemplated, because I know you talked about how in your game you made Oakley um, one of the actual original paladins. He wasn't, he wasn't an ancestor. He was an, yeah, actu- an actual. Yeah, that happened in the last episode I decided that. Right. And so, and so I've toyed with the idea of doing something similar. And so, surprise, later on, Oakley just appears again, and they have no idea why. He's still mm. alive, you know? Maybe he just can't die because he's tied, tied to the He's got clones like Manchun. Well, that's that's corny. <laughs> I never even liked it when they did it with Manchun. <laughs> but maybe you know, maybe he's just one of those types of, of characters in literature who just can't die. You know, right. um, sort of the tragic can't die guy, like the like um um Gollum. Well, I was thinking Jack Harkness from uh, Doctor Who, right? Oh yeah. You know, so you kill him and you kill him and you kill him, but he he literally just cannot die because he's tied to this this thing going on at the Abbey, and until his quest is fulfilled he he can't he can't pass on hmm. so maybe he's secretly a revenant could be yeah there you go so and i don't know what they're going to do with the body or anything maybe something either, happened so. to him back when the deck broke apart like the, the, because the deck broke apart one of the things he gained from it was this kind of dark immortality mm-hmm. you know his he's bound to the deck yeah and i don't know if he's bound to the deck or if he's going to be bound to Sort of the curse on the Abbey. So when when his right. when his quest right. chain is done, then he can finally pass on and he'll you know, turn yeah. to, turn to dust and it'll be all dramatic and sad. Maybe he's one of the cards manifested into human Ooh, form. That could be fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm toying with some ideas to what to do with him because he wasn't supposed to die. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, the, the the adventure doesn't say he's not supposed to die, but I had things I wanted to do with him, and now that won't happen. Although the what the uh, at one point, the paladin, the other paladin of Bahamut, was talking about learning this ritual that needed to be done. So, if anything happened to Oakley, it could still be, it, you know, the quest could still be completed. But, but that character also died. So, <laughs> and he's one of the ones not coming back. Hmm. So that's where I'm at. Sounds good. So, I'm yeah, I'm just still trying to figure out what to do with the new characters, and I have to have something that's generic enough that I can figure it out. Yeah, the, I mean, I, no I think if you, you know, one, one, one idea is to kind of give them one quest right from the beginning that kind of ties them to Winterhaven or ties them to uh, Gardmore Abbey so that they've got kind of something to bring them to the party. Right. Although that's what I did when I started the entire campaign. Pretty much every single person started with at least one quest, if not a couple. Yeah. Tying right. into the so maybe thing. this is just another way to bring them in with their own quest. Sure. And kind of follows along with the yeah. rest of it. Yeah, so I mean, I guess I just need to make sure I'm familiar enough with the setting that I can do something on the fly when when they show up and here's, say, "Here's my character." Yeah. Is there? This may be because I'm not super. I have Guardmore Abbey, but I'm not real. I'm not super familiar with it. Is there a way that you can cull through it and give the players that are coming back in a? Um, a selection of things that might work that help incorporate them in better. What do you mean? Sense? What, what do you mean things that might work? Uh, uh, background elements or something that because when you're talking about characters, you're talking about the PCs that. Well, wait a minute. Maybe I'm. Never mind. Maybe I'm thinking about something else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, and, and, I mean, I, I, I tried to in- work with the other all the players when they made their original characters and, and integrate their character concepts into um, the larger campaign in this story and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so none of them have died off, though, right? 
None of who have died off. The PCs. Four of them died off. Okay, so that we are talking about reintegrating. Okay. Right. No, Sorry, four, I wanted to make sure we were talking about the same thing. Yeah, no, four of them died off. Two of them are coming back, and I've got those stories on how I'm going to do that. And then two of them are making new characters, and so I've got to figure out how to do that. Okay. And and I have a new player joining, I think, on the next session. So I'll actually have three new PCs to, to introduce. Hmm. Man. It's actually the return of one of our old players who took a couple of years off to get an MBA. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I've got my work cut out for me trying to figure out how to get get them all back in. Sounds like it. Crazy. Well, I think that covers it, doesn't it? Sounds good. And I think we it came does. in under the wire this time. My time says 55 minutes and 48 seconds. Wow. Without, wow. without the ad, ad, ad put in yet, so... Uh, so did you guys all have a good Gen Con? Yeah. I had a great Gen Con. Busy. Like, ah, oh, I, so, I get really overwhelmed now. It's funny. I, I, I pretty much, I know what I'm there for and I, and I do that. So yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I meet so many people and I want to meet so many people and I didn't play as many games as I would have liked this time. I'm definitely going to sign up for more games the next only, year. The only game I played at Gen Con this year was your Gamma World game. Really? And that was, mm-hmm. we wasn't even part of Gen Con. It was nope. the night before. Right. Oh, and is it, that the one that Kato was in too? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Cool. Yep. Yeah, yep. it was It was a lot. I mean, that was the only game I ran. You know, I brought a kit to run this an infinite number of D&D games. Right. And I never even used it. To test, out, to test out your lazy DM stuff? No, yeah, a little bit, but I just had a bunch of random, yeah, kind of, a bunch of random stuff with me and, you know, like random charts for weird plot threads and, right, right. you know, maps and stuff. But yeah, I got, you know, I wasn't crazy about how the Watsi booth, how the Watsi stuff was set up. So it was, it was a lot harder to just kind of get pickup games or to jump into stuff. I would have liked to play a lot more of the D&D Next Play tests, but I didn't know how hard it was going to be to get in. Sure. And I, and I, I like the location, the new location. And having yeah. every, having everything centralized and right there in the middle of, of the action, um, but 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 it, it's it's it hurts not to have the big space. Yeah, right. So and there was another giant space of a whole bunch of D and D going on that was across the street. Right. So it's like the two places where all the D and D is happening couldn't have been further apart. Sure. Well, then what was being run in Sagamore then? Nothing. I don't know a bunch of other weird uh, stuff. They 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 used their dividers and broke Sagamore up into a bunch of smaller rooms and then had little things going on in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I always loved Sagamore. I loved us having like a giant room that was full of D and D. Yeah, and you just hung out there, and you'd always find people, and you know, you know, everyone could just chill, and you would run into a lot. I ran into a lot more people. I didn't feel it just wasn't nearly sure. as frantic. But I did like the at least conceptually, I liked the idea that that you know D and D was central to the concept of Gen Con this year in a way that yeah, it, I guess. Way that but how many been. people actually got to play? Well, that that well, I I got in fairly easily. I don't. I think part of the issue was the fact that on the initial two days, they were not taking generic tickets for that event. They were only taking scheduled people for the event. Well, nine times out of ten, people don't schedule. Right. They just go up and expect to take you know throw generic tickets at you and go in. But they weren't doing. They weren't taking those. I had a specific scheduled ticket. I got right in. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah i mean i did too yeah. i got in but yeah. you know there's six things and i you know, i wanted to try them all right i think and yeah i wanna... go back and, and I, I went at one point i went in and said you know look give me the, give me a kit and i'll run it like you've got a big you got a, they said they had a three-hour wait 
So I was like, you know, I'll, I'll help alleviate your problem. I'll run it and you can get six people. And they're like, it's not, we have plenty of DMS. We have plenty of people that want to run it. We have no space to run it. Right. Like that never would have happened in Sagamore. Oh no, no. Cause I mean, half of Sagamore was usually empty. Right. It was great. Yeah. But that was the first time I'd ever run in a um, a sanctioned con event. So, well, mm-hmm. and it it was fun. Six complete strangers. I had no idea who they were. So, <laughs> but it yeah, actually was successful, right. and we you know we actually won the adventure, if you will. So none of us died. You, yep. That was the Blankenstone adventure. Ah, uh, uh, yes. What, which 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 quest did you go on? The kobolds in the tunnels. Okay, how'd that go? The purple worms really well. Did they? Um, did they the elementals or something? Did they, we had no. We had no healer. Oh, we did, had. Did the kobolds manage to pull off their whole runaway thing and lead you into another trap? No. Okay. We since we had two rogues, and one of us kept assisting the other, we had no problems breaking the traps. Okay. <laughs> we totally just plowed through their traps. Sure. It was like, um, yeah, we detected it. Okay, I'll assist. And we were we had some the dice were on our side. I mean, we didn't have a lot of fails as far as the die roll concerned. So it was it worked out pretty well. We had a decent DM. Um, it went pretty quick. Uh, did they still I mean, use Did they still use the prophecy thing as one of the rewards you got? Uh, we were looking for these crystals. Right, right. But um, one of the I I I play tested the adventure. Right, we um, got to choose one of like six different things. Right, right. But uh, one of the things that that at one point went with this whole thing was that you, after you completed or part of completing each of the six things gave you a little a little piece of prophecy. Right, and if you pieced them all together, they would give you a, a hint as to what was gonna what they were gonna do with the Forgotten Realms in the next few years. Oh, do you think, I, do you think anybody played six of them? I did, I, <laughs> but not a Jim Con. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't even know there. I didn't even remember hearing a piece of prophecy. So, okay. yeah, um, he may have said it as we wrapped up, but I don't recall. So, well, and they were all set up as sort of these little slips of paper you would actually find in different places. So it's possible you just didn't find it. And that's true. That is a good point. So, but uh, but it was fun. I you know I I had worries that my you know, I wasn't sure what kind of people you'd be thrown in with. You know, I'm kind of weird about that. I like to know who I'm gaming with. And sure, that's the first the, time I. Yeah, I mean that's that's actually one of the one of the tough things, and one of the reasons why I hadn't really been signing up for the for the organized play games at Gen Con the last few times is the last few the last few times I went. You know, you 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 kind of get a, a mediocre adventure with a mediocre DM. Mm-hmm. And you know, for four hours, and four E can run so badly if you don't have somebody good running it. Oh, sure. So, yeah. um, you know, so I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I like the stuff that Watsi puts together because you know they play test the heck out of sure. it. Right. But they have so many, like they, you know, they have all those D and D encounter sessions that they could run, and they have the lair assaults they they could run, mm-hmm. and they don't run any of that. Yeah. Well, they were running some 4E stuff. It was just in a different place. Watsy? Yeah. What were they running? Well, yeah, the 4E was being run because it was one of the die you could get if you mm-hmm. ran the 4E playtest. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, dra- the, the Drow Adventure. Yeah. Yeah, right. the Drow Adventure. I played, yeah. I played that one. It was fun. Yeah, and that one, that one went well. You know? And actually, that one had less of a weight if you wanted to play, but it, wasn't, it was the same adventure every time you went. That, that, so. wasn't, that wasn't your Drow Adventure, was it? No. Okay. No, mine, mine was the, the yours, Lair Assault. Yeah, yours is the Lair Assault. That's not... I think I guess it's just out in the stores now, but is it wasn't. It, say, is it wasn't out yet? Con. Yeah, not yet. I just wish I'd gotten the other two die. I got four out of the six. I wanted. Yeah. I wanted two more. I got one. They're, I got one not, of them. They're not game science dice. 
I don't. I don't I mean, really like games. Who knows? To, who knows what role you're going to get? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's do, why I like. Have you read that article? Do you? Not, do I don't you, even allow them on my table anymore. Do you only game. play with game science dice? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No. But I, I, I was fascinated. That article just made me giddy. I saw you tweeting about it, and I, I'm like, oh, really? Could, could this possibly be that interesting? I, I was. I'm, I'm enthralled. Did you hear my thing about like now? If you roll a 14, you get a free crit. As long as you have game size dice. Yeah, I saw that. Tweet. If you roll a 14. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, yeah. the 7 is where there's a little burr, which means that the 14 comes up like 25% less often than any other less number. Often, yeah. See, now this was from Awesome Dice? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Find this thing. Yeah, stick that in the show notes. Yeah. See, I, I'm sure Game Science has a great product, but I'm. No, they Robin don't. Art, well, okay, okay, <laughs> trying to be. Yeah. I'm to be gracious. Like I, I, I've given them a lot of my money, so I can yeah. I can criticize their dice, and and they they have problems. It, it's yeah. nice that it's more accurate, but it's not like I mean I have I use Casino D sixes as my D sixes, and you know at two dollars a die, and I love them. And there's game science dice are not, you know, they're not that quality. I really well, the wish reason, they would make a quality. Well, I have a funny grognard reason for it. Is that when I first started playing D anD D, the only kind of dice you could get were these translucent ones that you had to color in and it right. was this cheap plastic it's awful one. yeah well when coplow finally started making dice mm-hmm. and they were the cadillac and as far as i'm still concerned they are still the cadillac of dice hmm. and they're just they the material they're made out of is awesome they never wear out <laughs> and you know because some of those old plastic dice that were translucent that you had to color in the numbers um would wear down and they, the corners would round off, and then you would start to get, you know, skewed results in some cases. And um, but the coplow dice were impervious to that kind of damage, and I <laughs> loved it. And so I just, I don't know how they make their dice at coplow, but I never noticed burrs, or if they do sand them off, they sand them off pretty smooth. So yeah, but I just, um, and then when I go back and see, oh, well, you got to color them in or have somebody do that. Uh, yeah, no. Well, I mean, when you get them at Gen Con, I mean, I, I forget what, I think it's about $2 a die. And if you get them at Gen Con, they're already painted and they, and the, the paint is fine. Like it's, it's good. So, but, but you do have that burr and now you got, you know, one die that's got a flaw in one side and, or you got the other die that are, you know, that are, uh, oblong, you know, they're, 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 they're going to favor sets of numbers. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the method I used before is I would always have like six or seven D20s and I would randomly grab you know, I'd randomly grab any one of them, and then I figured, like, whatever way it's swayed, I don't know what way it's swayed. And since I'm using so many different dice, the random factor is is pretty high. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. So this th- this conversation uh, is really fascinating, does. and I think we should it's continue. Boring, however, everybody. however, we we've gone from perfect timing to uh, five or ten <laughs> minutes over our normal time. So why don't oh, we? Sam will just edit that extra stuff. Sam, out, so. I edit these episodes, and I don't do any editing. I put the I put I put the music in, and I put the ad in, and then the rest of it so all I, stays. Half ass job done. <laughs> well, we're such great professionals; nothing needs to be edited. Yeah. So everybody, everybody, <laughs> yeah. Say, everybody, say goodbye. Bye bye.